y'all. We're back for the last episode of 2018 for Made in Chattanooga. I want to say thank you to everybody who helped make Made in Chattanooga a success this year. We interviewed a whole bunch of strong entrepreneurial leaders, business developers, entrepreneurs themselves, as well as artists, musicians, and people that are really contributing to the culture here in Chattanooga. And for those that are interested, our top three episodes of the year were our first with Marcus Shaw and Nick Lutzko. And then we went down the line with talking to our mayor, Andy Burke, and a fantastic jazz artist and upcoming hip-hop artist, Suevo, out of Chattanooga. And then last but not least, number three, was with Vibrant Meals, a uh, local food delivery and food company here in Chattanooga, and Courtney Holder, an artist in, in Chattanooga as well that now goes by Ayla Silver. So thanks to those as well that really helped us tell stories of Chattanooga and create some seriously op- awesome episodes. We're going to hear in our next episode, which will be our last episode of the year, talk with uh, Charlie Brock, the outgoing CEO of Launch Tennessee, which is an entrepreneurial resource focused on providing developing entrepreneurs and developing startups the resources to make traction in the state of Tennessee and grow from there. And then going back to that first episode that we just talked about, we're bringing Nick Lutzko back onto the show to talk about what he's doing in next year. Nick's had an incredible year working with the likes of Super Deluxe, getting his new album ready, and he's going to have a really awesome 2019. So I want to give you a little bit of a tease on that. But now I'm going to turn it over to Mickey because we got some exciting stuff coming up in 2019. Yeah, thanks, Jesse. And I want to just do a big shout out to Jesse, Henley, Landon, the entire crew here at VaynerMedia that has done an amazing job launching Made in Chattanooga. And then all of, you know, we made this, we set this up to be something that everyone in the office could own. And we had a lot of different people host and interview their friends and, and uh, mentors and just people who inspire them across the business and creative industries. Um, you know, the whole point of this was we wanted to be interviewing one uh, innovator in the business community, one innovator in the creative community. Uh, and I felt like we really achieved that. So big props to the entire team here. And thank you. 21 episodes is a lot. It's a lot of content. Henley's done a ton of work on this. So super proud of everything we achieved. Um, and then as we look to 2019, we're going to have some awesome, awesome, awesome news um, that we're that we're super pumped about. And uh, so look out for more coming, you know, mid late January from the crew out of here. We're going to be taking things, turning things up to 11 as they say. And uh, we're super excited about it. So I hope everyone has a happy holidays, a happy new year, and we will see you back here big time in 2019. We're here with the esteemed Charlie Brock. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us on the Made in Chattanooga podcast. If you haven't taken a listen yet, which it's fine if you haven't. Right. (laughs) Um, We like to interview on all In all honesty, I have not, so I apologize. No, no worries. On these podcasts, we like to interview one person from someone we call an innovator, so someone who's doing really interesting things in the business community or um, just at large with the nonprofits or things like that, education, that we think is just doing something disruptive in, in their field. And then we like to interview a creator, so someone who's in the arts fields that are maybe interesting music, poetry, whatever. Um, so you're obviously in our innovator <laughs> camp, right. um, though Good. I'm we're all right creative. <laughs> Not all of us are artists. Um, so uh, would love to, to have you introduce yourselves, do a quick little background on your most current role and kind of, uh, and then we'll dive in a little bit more from there. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Great to be with you. Yeah. Appreciate uh, y'all doing this to help shine a light on folks in Chattanooga. Yeah. So Charlie Brock, I'm currently uh, for the time being anyway, the CEO <laughs> of, of Launch Tennessee. 
uh, have been in that role for nearly six years. Yep. Uh, so spent a lot of time on I-24 back and forth between Nashville and Chattanooga running. Organization that's really about entrepreneurship across the state. And so how do we put Tennessee on the map uh, nationally and help make this a great place for entrepreneurs to start and grow a business? Yep. And so Launch Tennessee is taking you kind of all over the state. It's taking you all over the country in terms of, you know, uh, finding opportunities to to grow entrepreneurship in, in Tennessee and in the region. But you're a Chattanoogan through and through. So would love if you had like, we always like to ask like the, and I steal this from Gary, our CEO, he likes to ask this, phrase it this way. But if you, if you, if it was the comic book 001, <laughs> so what's the origin story uh, uh, for you, Charlie? Okay. So we'd love to start there and then yeah. learn a little bit about how that in, impacted your career. Right, right. So I'm a, a fourth generation Chattanooga. Wow. Uh, great grandfather moved here around the turn of the century, right before the uh, turn of the, the, Right around 1890s, I guess. Yeah, the turn of the 19th that, century. Yeah, that other century. <laughs> and so, um, or 18th. So yes, yeah, so I've, you know, obviously a long family history here in Chattanooga. Yeah. I'm part of a large family, so there's lots of rocks running around. Yeah. <laughs> this town have been for for a number of years. So I've I've actually lived all my life in Tennessee. Went to, to school here uh, in Chattanooga High School, and then went to Sewanee. Not too far from here. Yeah. And then I, uh, career-wise, I actually went to Nashville. That was my first Nashville stint and got involved in the banking business. I'm a liberal arts guy, Swanee, English yeah. major. But I got involved in a, a training program that when banks were still doing that, um, <laughs> which was fantastic. And did that for four years, met my wife, who's from Nashville. And then we ended up moving back here in the early 90s uh, and joined a family business, Brock Candy Company. Which was a terrific opportunity. Worked with my brothers and, and my dad, and 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 helped in a really small way uh, help grow that business. Um, but then we, after we sold the business mid nineties, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I always wanted to start my own thing. Maybe it's the fourth kid of, yeah. of you know, one of six kids, but fourth uh, youngest uh, brother. <laughs> and whether I felt like I had to do something on my own, so uh, selling Brock candy after I left uh, in 1996, and then got involved. Uh, a couple of years later with the startup that had, had already started here, and I joined as co-founder of Foxmark Media. Awesome. So that was my entrepreneurial story, and, and we had some success there over the years and raised outside capital, et cetera, and then um, have really been since that time involved in more entrepreneurial support as an angel investor yep. and, and formed an angel fund here, and then uh, in the Chattanooga entrepreneurial scene, and then more recently in the statewide entrepreneurial scene. Yeah. So was there anything in your childhood or in your early kind of adult experiences that led you to entrepreneurship? You mentioned you were maybe the one of six and the fourth boy and like wanting to strike on your own, but was there, or did, was this just something that when you made that leap in the nineties that you were like, I think I'm ready. Yeah. No, I, you know, I, we, we have that in our, in our history, our family history. Certainly like my great grandfather started Brock Candy Company, mm -hmm. another great grandfather, who had moved here around the turn of the century yeah. um, and, and was the John Cruzy and was an incredible entrepreneur as well wow. in America Lava Company. So we yeah. certainly had that historically and <laughs> in, in, in hearing those stories and passing those down. And I don't know if it was that as much or some combination of that and just saying how I want to kind of be captain of my own ship and see yep. if I can go start something on my own. Yep. So I guess, could you talk a little bit about that moment um, where you kind of pivoted into um, your entrepreneurship, entrepreneurial journey, and maybe what were some of the lessons you mentioned you were kind of in uh, with the family company and Brock Candy? I know you were in a marketing role, mm -hmm. and that Fox Mark Media was kind of a you know marketing and advertising firm as well. So was there 
um, I guess were there learnings from your early career, whether it was in that training program in the banking or with the family business that kind of prepared you to, for your entrepreneurial journey? Yeah. And you know, every, every job you have, and if you look at my number of jobs on my, <laughs> on my chart, you're like, wow, this guy can't hold a job. No, 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 um, no. but everything prepares you. It's all a stepping stone. And, yep. and you take what you've learned in one place and apply that in another place. And I've been really fortunate in that regard. I mean, the banking business again is a liberal arts guy. Um, and graduate to get in the banking program was cr- terrific. They actually, and this was at SunTrust in Nashville, they actually put us through an MBA program wow. as part of that. Um, so for one semester, we didn't have to go to the bank. We were taking MBA classes over at Belmont. So that was incredible nice <laughs> to get some of that financial. And I wasn't sure how that was going to play out. Obviously, at the time, they're hoping it's going to play out because we're going to be at the bank forever. Right. Um, but when I left and when I got into my start in the startup and be able to have that financial acumen and an understanding, and yep. particularly going to start to raise angels money and all that i was really comfortable in that world i love a spreadsheet i mean i'm not a pure uh you know i'm not i'm more of a generalist but i'm really comfortable in in the in the financial arena so that was great and then to come to brock candy company and actually i was in the on the plant for a while and understanding and gave me a real appreciation for for blue collar and for production and product and manufacturing. It was incredible. And coming out of a white collar, more banking scenario, and then saying, wow, these folks are working third shift and are looking to pick up any extra hours they can anytime. And also they're having brought candy, the culture of that, of our company. And it was very much, we had grown to be a, you know, 900 employee firm. We were over a hundred million dollars, but it was a family business sure. and there were yeah. folks who my great-grandfather had hired years ago so That's had amazing. been through multiple generations so that Im- importance of culture and of of people feeling valued whatever their job was is was really inculcated in me yeah it brought candy company and then also i guess from the marketing point just the customer discovery yep which we talked to and you know this sure, is sure. and i've talked to entrepreneurs about every single day how are they doing customer discovery so that you know i really learned that yeah um in in spades at brock candy companies we're taking product to market and there's a number of different ways to do customer discovery and we you know we tried a lot of them and were mostly successful <laughs> but we learned a lot of yep. hard lessons as well so that was really something that then took you know was valuable for me in, in being part of a startup yep um and then continued to invest in companies since then and then advise entrepreneurs every yeah. day and so what was that transition like or i guess um when you went pick up i guess maybe from the late the mid 2000s what as you was there something that you were seeing in this community that led you to be like hey i want to get back into the kind of angel investing venture capital world, I think I can add value as my, my experience as, as being an operator, as an entrepreneur, I guess, what was going on here in Chattanooga at yeah. that time that you saw some of the first steps that needed to be taken? So I sold and, and we were, we had built a really good company at Foxmark. We're very profitable and, and we had great, uh, business, but I was all, timing was also great. I sold at the end of 2006. <laughs> and so we were doing timing advertising worked. across the country sure. and it was, and yeah. things changed a lot, yeah. about a, you know, 2008. <laughs> right. So what happened later. though, and I stayed with the, the organization is great Australian company that bought us and they're great to me. I had to stay for a year as part yep. of the contract yep. contractual obligation, stayed for 15 months. Then anyway, so now summer 2008, the world's changing yeah. here. The Blood things implode, imploding. <laughs> um, and I'm in position to be an angel investor. And I'm talking to entrepreneurs and realize they have very little, you know, very few right. places to go to get angel money in Chattanooga. Yep. And I was lucky, uh, Mickey, when I, you know, I through the Celebrate Candy Company, I was able to help self-fund our company Great. and yep. not take a salary. And I say that yep. to entrepreneurs all the time. Look, I had, I certainly had advantages. I couldn't grow the company and self-fund 
forever. Right. Um, but I was able to help in those early days to, to be able to do that. And with three young kids at home, um, <laughs> still had to hustle every sure. day. And there were just three of us and we're out on the road every week and we're building the business. Yep. Um, but we had, had capacity. To do that. So, Fast forward now, 2008, you're talking a lot of entrepreneurs. I'm in a position to be an angel investor. They got nowhere to go. When I raised, I raised three different rounds of angel funding at Foxmart, but I could get in to see people in Chattanooga. Again, fourth generation. It didn't Network. mean that everybody wrote me a check. In right. fact, I had more people say no than yes, yep. but I did have enough. We, raised, we got 18 angels who participated over those three oh, different awesome. rounds. And again, I could get in the door to see them. And mm-hmm. that was not the case when I'm talking to entrepreneurs here in 2008 2009 so there's a great a, a lot of uh, momentum around and, and energy around let's get Chattanooga's entrepreneurial ecosystem off the ground yep we, we, we've been kind of dormant in that for a number of years let's get it going so one of the ways that I was a participant in that and there's a lot of people doing so was Chattanooga Renaissance Fund because yep. I was like let's we got to have a capital group we got yep. a place for people to come and get capital mentorship etc so that was really the pivot for me uh, it became mission, a personal mission to say we've got to have this asset and this opportunity here that I had as a fourth generation that right. most people that don't most have. People don't have, yeah. No, and I think we're only. I mean, it's been a decade later, and yes, there's been a lot of mile markers and a lot of things done in between then. Now, like 2008 and 2018, but at the same time, I don't think Chattanooga's having its moment or, or it's building towards something without some of those early foundational, Hey, let's, let's organize to make sure there's capital available. Let's organize mentorship and, 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 and show entrepreneurs here in Chattanooga a little bit of a path that can be taken. And so I guess what, um, what made you or inspired you to take, say, all right, I've done this now, whether it's chatting Renaissance fund, whether it was then with Colab and kind of getting that off the ground, um, to then say, you know what, this needs to be not just Chattanooga, it needs to be across Tennessee. Was that someone from outside the city coming to you and saying, hey, what are you guys doing in Chattanooga? Can you bring this to the rest of the state? Or was this you proactively saying, we've got something going here, I can hand it off to some other folks, but I need to go help the rest of the Yeah, the no, state. it was very much uh, the the state coming uh, to, you. To, to here and, and saying, help us get Launch Tennessee off the ground. So we had, you know, we, we had good things. And, and the cool thing about the Chattanooga story, and this is so typical of Chattanooga, I mean, there was a lot of, this is not a command and control. Right. I was just one small part of a lot sure. of people with their shoulders against the wheel here. Yep. And so it was very organic, and it was, you know, from what was happening at Lamppost Group and what Sheldon had been doing at Cola, and what yep. we're doing with CRF and Sarah Morgan, I always say, was the grand master <laughs> of all this, driving us through through Lynn Hurst with yep. Innovate here. So it was really cool how it was happening. Um, and so what happened though, when, when Governor Hasm was elected in, in November 2010, and as part of his, he did a economic development strategy he unveiled in spring of 11, spring of 11, Jobs for Tennessee plan. One facet of that was entrepreneurship and innovation. So that was really, I mean, we were doing things at CoLab, but we weren't running the accelerator yet. Yep. We were all, and it was, it was very much patchwork kind of funding, sure. et cetera. And, and so the idea that as part of Governor Haslam's plan, that we have entrepreneur centers across the state running accelerator programs so we could apply for funding. So with that, I agreed to be the CEO of CoLab, and so we took on that state contract in gotcha. November of, of 2011. But it was 
um, that was still handled through ECD. Basically, after about six months, we didn't get our contracts for five months. We weren't, didn't get our money. Yeah. Luckily, Ben Wood and Lynn Hurst had helped support us to get off the ground with our accelerator program. And, and so basically, that was when they said, we need a separate organization doing this. And, and that was the genesis of Launch Tennessee gotcha. that wakes up every day thinking about nothing but entrepreneurship for the state. So they came to me in early June okay. and said, hey, we're, we're, we're doing this. Will you come run it? But we actually, this was three days into Gig Tank. So we had <laughs> eight companies here who were here for the summer, not just because of me, certainly, but yeah. I was leading yeah. the accelerator. So I was like, no, I, I can't. Can't do it right now. No, I can't do it right <laughs> now. And, and I'm not going to be ready to start September 1 because I think we're going to be all going to need to take a breath after yep. the, the team's finished in August. So anyway, all that. Um, it was interesting because I wasn't convinced that we were going to be able to be entrepreneurial and run Launch Tennessee as a corporation, not as a nonprofit Profit, government right. entity. And so I actually didn't commit. I said, call me back in September. We talked in September. I still didn't commit until late October yep. that I would be there. And so I would. So you I pushed went, it to be that. I just wanted to make private. sure. Yeah. And we had, we had a four-year contract and say, we're not going to, we're going to be able to try things. If they fail, they fail. We'll yep. learn from them. We'll move on. And if, if, if I'm not the right person, so I didn't sign a contract. I'm, right. I was at will employee. So if I'm not the right person, you let me go. And if you're, if I'm having to uh, treat this in a very bureaucratic fashion, not as entrepreneurial startup, right. I'm no not going to be the right person <laughs> and I will leave, but I'll make sure right. I'm, I'm not going to leave you hanging. But, uh, so it's been fantastic. Yeah. And so launch Tennessee, you know, I'm sure at some point you put up on a whiteboard, make Tennessee the most startup friendly <laughs> state. Mm-hmm. And I imagine when that idea came and got brainstormed, I'm sure there was people being like, well, why, why is Tennessee think they can be the most startup friendly state? Yeah, I know Steve Case talks all the time about how 80% of venture capital money still goes to three states in our country, California, New York, and Massachusetts. So I guess what what inspired that? Right. And, and what made you think that it was achievable? And do you think we have achieved it six years later? Yeah. No, no. And actually, it's fairly new. I mean, we yeah. just kind of came up with, you gotcha. know, okay. or, that was a, it's, you know, a year old, that gotcha. kind of vision statement. So we felt like, Mickey, one, one of the things that we're most proud about Lunch Tennessee and is that we've helped create with partners across the state like Marcus and, and CoLab here a collaborative network. Yep. And and so we've got an opportunity here for an entrepreneur in Chattanooga through this network and through Lunch Tennessee being connective tissue there can get access to resources across the state. Yep. And so for us it all it's all is a, it's about increasing the density of resources and increasing the access to those resources for entrepreneurs. And the way we win in Tennessee is by having that on a statewide basis because Steve Case is obviously right. We're not going to have more capital than yep. a lot of places for an, for a while. We're not going to have more PhDs, more research, more yep. talent than, than Boston, Massachusetts, California. Um, but can we collaborate in a way, in a more effective way than anybody else in the country? Yep. And I believe that we can. And, and I've not seen, there's some other states doing great things, don't get me right, wrong. Right. And there's other organizations, tech-based economic development organizations. What I have not seen is the kind of structure and the network that we've created. But now we've got to pour gasoline on the fire. We've yeah. all the, you know, we've, we've, Put infrastructure in place, right? Um, and so now we got to continue to add to that infrastructure. We got to put more nodes on the network, and so that an entrepreneur, regardless of which of our ninety-five counties they're in, can get access to resources. If we can do that, that's the most startup-friendly state. Same. Nobody else is doing that. So, so for us, it was like we need a vision. We need a vision gotcha. statement that can help catalyze, inspire, and get more stakeholders into the game here. So we're a long ways from being there. Yep. Yeah. But but we're on our way. So what are, what are some of the brass tacks 
to you mentioned putting more m nodes on the network, but I guess what you know you're you mentioned it earlier, but you're now the outgoing CEO. Uh, you've got, what, another couple of weeks yeah, at yep. Launch Tennessee, and you've got an awesome um, successor with Margaret Dolan um, coming in. I guess, what have you guys collaborated on, on like, okay, what are the actual tactical next steps that, that you think need to be carried on? Obviously, she'll bring her vision and strategies to life, but i um, curious about, you've kind of built a foundation, like you said, you're building an infrastructure, mm -hmm. and we built this network where it is possible for entrepreneurs across the state to to find the the mentorship, the capital, you know, the the lessons they need to 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 take off. But I guess what's what work still needs to be done. Yeah, yeah, we've j actually just finished uh, a new five year strategic plan. So right. we were working on the vision statement, most startup friendly, really a year ago, and said we need a plan. And and this was all very intentional in terms of the timing here. Um, and I told the board a year ago, I said, look, we want to work on a strategic plan. We want to get you all involved with that. We need somebody, a leader, who's going to lead that plan and execution implementation and commit for a three- to five-year period. Yep. I'm not that person. I said, yeah. I could be it for another year or whatever. <laughs> I mean, I've yeah. loved doing this. But I said, I'm not in for another three to five years. So let's try to, you know, the, laid out a... a, a Roadmap, if you will, said, let's go through strategic planning. Let's have this process and let's go through this during the summer yep. and with naming my successor by the end of the summer and then I'll leave uh, in the fall. <laughs> so, so that's the plan. I, you know, so I, I feel like we've, we've got a great plan in place. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, Margaret's got to own that and she's going to tweak it and lean into different aspects of yep. that. But we actually wanted to engage a much larger group of stakeholders. We had 48 people from across. 40 from across Tennessee as well as eight from outside the state oh, wow. who are doing ecosystem work in other parts of the country be part of that. And so we had five different working groups there and to help say, okay, test us. We, the staff, my team, we had done a lot of the putting the pencil, you yep. know, pencil to paper, visioning some of these things and said, test us, assess what we've done. You know, let's look at other best practices, et cetera. So our board approved that in July. So I thought it was really important because we are public-private. We get about 70% of our funds from the state. Yep. And with a new administration coming in, new EC commissioner, a new governor, for us to have this plan that's been approved, endorsed by our board, which is yep. a really great board of folks, public-private, includes some state legislators, includes the head of Oak Ridge National Lab, includes the head of tech transfer from Banville. FedEx, you know, Richard Smith yep. from FedEx, some entrepreneurs, investors, great board that say, we believe in this. We believe in this plan. we got to support it um, going forward. Right. So I think let, hopefully let it gives the, the new go. CEO, Margaret, a great platform from which to, to, to yep. carry on. So I guess how could, if someone's listening and they're like, you know, I can add something to that mix, whether it's I've got capital or whether it's I've got, you know, entrepreneurial experience that I can, and I can share um, or I've got marketing skills that I can help or whatever that is. How can people get involved or, or help out with kind of that overall mission of making Tennessee the most startup friendly state? Yeah, yeah. Well, go to our website and, and there's an, shoot us an email, info at launchtn.org. Yeah. Um, and we'd love to hear from you and, and, and see how we can plug you in. Yeah. And we may look to plug you in, whether it's at the Launch Tennessee statewide level or it may be the with level. one of our partners on the ground. We've yep. got six entrepreneur centers, including CoLab here, that are doing great work on the ground. We help fund them. And then, again, they're, they're, they're getting outside funding yep. as well. Where are the other um, fives? Uh, so the, the big four cities in yep. terms of Chattanooga, Knoxville, Nashville, Memphis, plus uh, Jackson, Tennessee, and, and West Tennessee, and then um, Cookville. 
between cool. Nashville and Knoxville. And then we also have about 25 other grantees that are doing work across the state. Yep. We're also working with 30 different universities uh, across the state doing yep. different programming. Um, and we're looking, all this is, is, you know, over the next five years now, the strategic plan is to really double down on all this. Another huge opportunity and a huge facet of this strategic plan is what we're calling market access. Okay. How do we get more Tennessee corporations supporting Tennessee startups as customers, yeah. not just as advisors yep. and you know helping you navigate <laughs> your, your product development, but buying, buying from them. So if we can do that, again, that's part of the big piece of startup sure. friendly for us. We've not, you know, a lot of times, Mickey, we've done one-off introductions, this startup, meet this corporation, that's great. We're trying to systematize that. Yep. So we've got a program called LEAP, which is Local Executive Access Program. We're doing, we're doing uh, facilitated uh, meetups, if you will, around the state now, where we're meeting with corporations, learning yep. some of their pain points, going out to our startup portfolio across the state. Say, who can and, help? Yeah, and facilitating those introductions. So we have a revenue goal yep. as part of the strategic plan. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, and we've actually just onboarded a new tech platform um, that yep. is help, will help make all that much more uh, systematic. Yep. Uh, so That's I'm, awesome. Yeah. Hopefully a tech that. platform that came from Tennessee or is it just well actually we license it from um, from <laughs> Centrifuge in Cincinnati which yep. is a great partner yeah, of ours yeah. we uh, we love collaboration if sure. I said there's one word that sums up Launch Tennessee and, and really my belief in what works in entrepreneurial ecosystem development yep. is collaboration awesome. so for us that's well that's inside a community a city yep. on a statewide basis Region. but we also believe it in a major way regionally yeah and, and you know 3686 that, that vayner's been a part of and supported in years past we where we help bring together the southeast yeah we've really expanded that this past year we had a lot of folks from the midwest that's awesome there's some great things happening in the midwest so how yep. do we work together heck we're all fighting you got 47 Absolutely. states fighting for 20 battling out for 20 percent of the venture capital across yep. the state how, across the country how do we all elevate our game and help each other to get more of that pie yeah and i'm actually going to a, a conference next next week uh called the heartland summit in mm-hmm. in northwest arkansas mm-hmm. um where it's the walton family foundation mm-hmm. and they're putting it on and and steve case's group is there and and but it's um it's it's gonna be really interesting because it's not just looking at it from a business lens it's looking at it from a nonprofit perspective from a natural resources from a government and public policy. So I think that I'm, I'm super excited to go there. And learn. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be great. I'm yeah. actually submitting some things for that uh, today nice. about what's happening in Tennessee. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So, um, I guess what's next for you? I imagine you're not someone who sits <laughs> on your hands or, or, you know, uh, you'll, you'll probably take a little bit of a breath, but what do you got your eye on? My wife hopes I'm not sitting on my hands for too long. <laughs> um, but yeah, we are going to take a little bit of a breath, uh, and, and enjoy the time of the holidays yep. and, some extra time with our daughters. Yep. Um, and then I'm not sure. I'm actually, I'm, I love this world of entrepreneurial ecosystem development, capital formation, et cetera. Yep. Um, you know, I might be able to, uh, I'd love if the, the folks at CRF um, <laughs> would, might help. I might, they might welcome me back yep. in. I hope to, to see if I could provide some value to the portfolio that we've got. Um, I'm really interested on some other ideas that have been kicking around on the fund development. Awesome. I just, I'm excited to be back in Chattanooga. Yeah. So um, I'm looking forward to, to seeing how I can plug back in. A little if less there's time ways on the I road, can, maybe. Yeah, be awesome. a value. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you got, you stopping by. Um, the last last thing we do is we ask this of all of our guests. So uh-huh. if you haven't listened or anything like Uh-oh. that, then you won't, you won't know this one yet. But um, we play something we call the laminate game. And so it's 
quirky, it's silly, but it's actually something we do every time any guest visits our office, whether it's a client or whether it's a um, someone from our New York office or LA office or whatever. But we ask you a simple question, uh, and then we're going to laminate your answers, meaning they exist forever because you can't unlaminate Uh-oh. something, right? Okay. So the question is, uh, if you could only have five condiments for the rest of your life, and those condiments were dispensed from one of your fingers, what would uh, the five condiments be? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I needed to listen to some of your prior uh, <laughs> podcasts. Worcestershire sauce. Great. Got to have that. Okay. Spicy mustard. Got to have that. Any brand or? Uh, uh, Gildens. Gildens, yeah. 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 Go-to. Lemon. I mean, lemon just works oh, everything. That is a unique one. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love it. We haven't heard lemon a lot. Garlic. Yep. Can wine count as a condiment? Wine can count as a condiment. For you, Charlie, wine can count as a condiment. We we do like to say that people we don't we never give someone a definition of a condiment, but we'll just judge you, you yeah. know, based on your definition. And so I think that's perfect. But uh, thanks so much for stopping uh-huh. by. This is awesome to learn uh, about you know the steps you've done and how you've supported the entrepreneurial ecosystem across Chattanooga and Tennessee. And uh, we look forward to seeing what you cook up next. Great, thank you. Appreciate being with you. Hey, everybody. We're going to have a really packed episode today, kind of a walk down memory lane from our first episode, which came out in April of this year, with a gentleman named Nick Lutzko. Uh, We're going to talk to Nick about what he's been doing over the last uh, 7 to 12 months with his career in Chattanooga and getting ready to launch his new project. And then uh, we're going to hear a few new songs from him as well. Hey, Nick. How you doing? Hey, doing great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on the show. Of course. Anytime. Very good. So... Seven months ago, you were our first episode on Made in Chattanooga. That is correct. It was a really... Time flies. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're almost a year older. It's bit, wild. A bit more mature and mm. really kind of going with it. And I think um, I heard your origin story in that, and something that really kind of came out of that was, was how you were kind of taking a different look at both commercial songwriting, music writing, production in general, and putting your name on it, your fingerprints on it, and really kind of creating a sound, but also, I think, a visual world and a landscape that spoke to who you are and what you wanted to bring kind of out of Nashville into Chattanooga and build your name upon. And that was really Nick Lutzko and, um, and your band along with that. How's that going today? It's going, man. Uh, we are currently putting the finishing touches on a new record. It's fully written. Um, most of it has been tracked. We have about another full day of like adding horns and xylophone and other auxiliary type things. And awesome. Uh, yeah, I just need to finish mixing it, and we kind of, we've been working on it all year, and I'm thinking a spring release is sounding most realistic. Spring 2019? Yes. Awesome. What's the project called? It's called Swords. Awesome. It What's Swords ri- all about? It was originally called Sideshow, and it, it was a total accident, but <laughs> I had written like five or six new songs, and somehow they all started with the letter S. Really? And there was a Sideshow... Stairwell, Superior. Which we heard on our first episode. Yes, that's true. Yeah. So all these songs, and it was just really confusing and frustrating to the band because I kept saying the wrong names and people kept interpreting the wrong names. And I was like, man, I need to retitle every one of these songs. Like, I don't know why I only write songs about S words. Right. And then uh, Adam Brown, our drummer, uh, suggested calling the record Swords as a joke. (laughs) But the more I thought about it, the lead, the lead, um, I guess, for lack of a better word, single off the record is Sideshow. Mm -hmm. And uh, that song, I felt like, encapsulates a lot of what I'm trying to say across the record about, like, the current zeitgeist and 
just uh, the political climate and just mm -hmm. culture in general. And mm -hmm. I felt like there may have been some overlap with the imagery of swords and the sideshow of like sword swallowers mm -hmm. and and then thinking a little bit beneath the surface of like a sword as a weapon yeah. and then all of these different songs that are dealing with different facets of society and different ideologies how they can be weaponized. Mm -hmm. And I just thought it was a cool way to kind of wrap yeah. this album together. So we leaned into it, cool. even though it was just a total fluke accident. Yeah. I think it turned into something that's a lot more interesting than we kind of originally envisioned. It sounds like it. So the album's going to be called Swords. It's Correct. Come out in spring 2019. And I think um, having had the privilege of listening to a couple songs and talking to you a lot about it, it's got a very strong message coming out of it. And I think from a perspective of um, you as an artist and what you've done to date, and I think kind of your prior work made statements, really kind of made statements about you, your career, the state of things. How do you think this has kind of evolved into what Swords is saying today? Yeah, good question. I really feel like it's just a lot of frustration. Okay. I don't know if I talked how much I talked about it later or last time, but I feel like one of my biggest driving factors as a songwriter is like what's getting me pissed for yeah. for lack of a better okay. word. Like a lot of people say what write what you know, yeah. and I just write what's bothering me generally. And I just feel like there is so much uh, bias and finger pointing, mm -hmm. and there's so many people screaming the same things from opposite sides mm -hmm. of the spectrum, mm -hmm. and they don't even realize the similarities. And it's trying to just kind of like explore all these different areas in which people find conflict with each other, right. and kind of just like dissecting it and breaking it apart. And it, it's a a weird dichotomy looking at something that appear as opposites but are really acting in a very similar way. Yeah. And I th I think that. Um, the first two songs on the record are Sideshow and Superior, mm -hmm. and both are kind of told from opposite sides of like the political spectrum. Understood. And uh, calling out the, the other side and what they deem is incorrect in their mm -hmm. thinking. And they're both using very similar language in that like, I'll never understand, I don't want to understand. And so I, I definitely think like uh, the news yeah. and Twitter and yeah. everything else, you know, it's just constantly in front of me and mm -hmm. that's just kind of what moved me I understood guess. it wasn't really an intentional thing it just kind of turned into it cool so it's got 11 tracks on the album correct and they're kind of as you had said piecing apart what's an ongoing tension going on in the world or in the general culture and cultural right. zeitgeist yeah, yeah yeah and it's it's pretty loose i think like um some of the songs are more obvious and what they're sure. pulling from yeah and then others might go into other aspects of like what affects us like technology sure. and um cultural norms and mm -hmm. expectations and Understood. those sort of things i think one thing i mean especially towards your gift as a songwriter and we heard this in superior which to the i think we'll call it the untrained ear sounds like a general song but if you actually listen deeper to it in the context of swords it takes on a much greater meaning in a sense of privilege or crime or things like that as well right cool yeah, yeah I, I always hope that it comes across that way i never really know if it you know <laughs> if i'm achieving that i think you know, so but. and I, th I think that's the greater story that this album does help tell especially with you as an artist kind of evolving and pushing that forward in that there's obviously something to talk about from whatever spectrum or whatever side you stand on right. whether you're an artist or a business person or a politician or, or anything else like that but in in doing so in a way that's not necessarily saying i side with this or that but i'm gonna i'm just gonna call to the fact that this isn't effective this isn't efficient. right this isn't getting yeah. anything done yeah and it, it is really interesting because i definitely i claim a side myself yeah you know what sure. i mean i feel we like i'm on yeah. one side 95 percent right. of the time yeah. um but it doesn't mean that there's not a bs on all ends of the of course you know i might think one side's 
smells way, way, way worse. But <laughs> it's, I don't know. I hear you. So in terms of that, and I mean, outside of the, the messaging, which is obviously very provocative, very powerful, and, and makes, for, makes for a very solid album, the music has a very different energy in a sense where you've obviously progressed as an artist. I think your band's grown and changed and morphed as well. How's that really helped put this project together in a new way compared to what you were previously doing? And for our listeners who may not have listened to our first episode, first episode, first albums that Nick built were, were very DIY and kind of singular in a sense before you went into production that allowed you to then kind of bring it together with a larger band. Right. Yes. So, so right. So for the earlier projects, I basically would record everything yeah. in my room. The, I, I didn't play drums, but I recorded like MIDI drums. Mm-hmm. I programmed all the, the mm-hmm. drums or whatever. And with this project, I actually, I wrote the full record in the same way, but it's been a lot more collaborative in that my drummer is a a better engineer than I am. So I'll I'll record everything to the best of my abilities and then I'll send it to him and um, he'll lay down the drums. Sometimes we'll send it to Eric who will lay down the bass and then we're coming in here and tracking all the xylophone. So it's interesting in that it's being created in the same way, but then it's not like the band going into a studio. Like it's still me kind of like plotting out this, you know, and then all of us coming in executing it like individually, which um, I am excited about, you know, I think we're kind of inching towards where we all kind of can get together and get in a studio and put some stuff down. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited to do that sometime. But um, I, I'm, I'm happy that everyone's hands are in on this. And it That's does good. feel, we've been, it's funny because um, we've kind of taken a step out of public, the public eye while we finished up this record because mm-hmm. we really want to come out and yeah. pack a hard punch whenever it's ready. That's great. And uh, so we're rehearsing every week. We're, we've gotten the majority of these songs down. Mm-hmm. And it's funny when people like one of my good friends, uh, Ryan Guza, who is another local musician, mm-hmm. he uh, was coming over. And I was like, I got to be done by the time we got rehearsal. He's like, Oh, what are you rehearsing for? And it's like, <laughs> we we do do this every week. Yeah. We just don't really play right now. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, hopefully, people won't have forgotten about us, and we'll be looking forward to new stuff. I think that'd be impossible. And I think so. What's that look like for launch? I mean, looking towards spring twenty nineteen. Any plans set? Any any ideas in terms of how this album will come to fruition and then be brought to the public? Oh man, that's um. Uh, that's kind of what we're trying to figure out cool. big you know the big picture cool. over the next few weeks Good. we would lo- I, I feel like I'm at a point where I've been doing the DIY thing for so long yeah. and the stuff that I, the original stuff I've been doing combined with the the work I've done for super deluxe mm-hmm. I've gained a lot of momentum on the past year at least from like an aspect of like Facebook followers yeah. and like Spotify hits yeah. and I was really hoping to use some of that momentum to get some form of representation and mm-hmm. really kind of take this to another level mm-hmm. as far as um booking goes yeah. and uh management and all sure. that just because i realize that as an individual i can only do so much yeah. and honestly there's just a lot that i'm not that good at like yeah, i sure. could use you know a professional's help on so taking the next couple of months to try to figure out if we can get any of that in mind just to really make the releases you know impactful as we can is really important but if we can't, I mean, I'm still really optimistic that we could put it out ourselves cool. and, um, you know, plan a really big, fun CD release show and try to make as much noise as possible, just like we did with Nightfall and yeah. the Parade and all yeah. that stuff as well. You know, just trying to figure, create some kind of story around it that people would be excited to take part in. Understood. Well, I certainly think, I mean, you've got a fandom behind you that's, that's obviously grown throughout your work over the past year. And hey, if you want to help launch an album, hit up Nick Lutzko. But let's talk about that. I think 
Super Deluxe was a big piece of what this year was looking like for you, and they've yeah. RIP kind of went into a different direction. But that gave you some firepower. That really kind of allowed you to spread your wings and, and try some new things and get your name out there, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, they went under, I guess it was almost exactly a month ago now, mm -hmm. and I just had no... Um, <laughs> it was just totally out of the blue. I think yeah. I found out, like, through Twitter, mm -hmm. like someone sharing an article or mm -hmm. something. And I, I worked for them for... I did freelance for yeah. them for two years, and um, it just progressively got better and better as far as like how much I was doing for them, how mm -hmm. much creative control I had and how much credit I was getting for it. And it was a really cool, exciting, challenging place to work. And I really enjoyed it. It's a bummer that they shut down, but I'm really thankful for everything I did get to create and yeah. all the new fans I got to make and Good all stuff. the um, weird stuff I got to put into the world that wouldn't be there without them. Will the weird stuff continue? The weird stuff will continue, yes. I don't know if as many people will be watching them because yeah. I don't have... Uh, 2.5 million subscribers to my YouTube channel or whatever they had. Not yet. <laughs> we'll get there. Yeah, we'll see. So regarding the album, um, you're going to play a couple songs today. What are you going to play for us today? Uh, that's a good question. I'll, I'll, um, <laughs> I'll probably play Sideshow. Cool. I'll try that one out. Yeah. It's, it's weird. That I haven't, um, I mean, I, I, have, I haven't had a chance to perfect these songs acoustically, so cool. it'll be interesting trying them out. Hear it all. And, uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. It's weird. I feel like a lot of artists will write a song with an acoustic guitar and yeah. then they'll play it for the band and the band but i kind of i write as i'm producing yeah. so it's always kind of taking the step backward after having a finished song and trying to Scale take all my favorite parts and strip it into yeah. one you know so I can see that. that's uh, yeah. something we'll be trying to do here in a few minutes i guess very cool what's the story behind sideshow just to give our audience a look at it yeah, so I, I mentioned earlier how I felt like um, Sideshow and Superior were both kind of two sides yep. of the same coin, mm -hmm. and I felt like it was very much um, influenced by like the 2016 election, sure. and um, just how people were able to just kind of like bypass mm -hmm. their their belief system mm -hmm. and get behind something that didn't really line up with what their core moral values were. Sure. But yeah, it's basically the right's critique, or I'm sorry, it's the, the left's critique of what's happening on the right mm -hmm. and defending the indefensible mm -hmm. and turning a blind eye to people who need help, mm -hmm. um, you know, just to kind of win a sports game. Yeah. You know, like, uh, I hope I'm not speaking in too many, like, riddles here. I don't no, want to just come yeah. out and be, like, overly political yeah. and yeah. bash no, you. Yeah, it's good. But it, yeah, it takes a look at, like, um, the left's issues with the right, and yeah. the next song kind of flips the head and goes back. The right issues with the left. Yeah. That's good. There's a circus element to this album as well, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. So, like, lyrically, the it's kind of, I guess the metaphor is that, like, uh, we all kind of fell asleep at the wheel and woke up with the freaks, you know, yeah. steering the ship. Now we're in the circus, yeah. Right, yeah. Understood. Yeah. So let's hear Sideshow. Okay, let's do it. Cool. Stars, then fed them red, red, red. 
Hip hop, their futures in the VCR. must be blessed Oh But for everyone else is the worst is Living in ghosts from the circus Running right in the office Oh And I'm starting to think it's on purpose Believe it or not we deserve this But sleeping at the sideshow Your paper has no Your ambassador's lies And somehow stomach them Maybe it's easy when the crime scene's blocked by dollar signs You're knocking on the devil's doors, gonna let you in You go knocking on the devil's doors, gonna let you in And now you live with him Yet you convince yourself he doesn't exist. Your ignorance must be bliss. Oh, for everyone else is the worth it. Living the ghosts in the circus. We're running right in the It's caving in You'd rather suffocate Than claw your way out So say the oxygen Cover your nose And stick your foot in your mouth Oh, your sweating Is a seven thoughts As it's on your head Your sweating Is a seven thoughts As it's on your head Until you're deaf to Your ignorance must be blessed. Oh, for everyone else is the worst. It's living across from the circus, running right in the office. Oh, I'm starting to think it's on purpose. Believe it or not, we deserve this. For sleeping at the sideshow.
Cause